we have sung some very important, powerful songs today. I once heard a, a preacher, an old preacher, that used to speak into my life, make the statement that saying amen to a preacher was like saying sick him to a dog. Well, some of the songs we've sung today have uh, kind of like been sick him, Danny. So, uh, just be ready. We did sing a song uh, that gave birth to an expression. The expression is God moves in mysterious ways. And you've probably heard it a lot in your life. It is not from the Bible like some people think. It actually came from the hymn that we sang today or was based on the hymn written by William Cowper. The opening line actually says God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. So it doesn't come from Scripture, but many people of faith have found it to be extremely true within their own lives, within their journey. Sometimes God goes beyond our expectations. Sometimes he works in ways that seem, another big word, inscrutable to us. In his sermon, Praying the Powerful Prayer, Aaron Kilborn tells a story out of the life of F.B. Meyer, who was a famous Baptist evangelist and pastor in the 19th century. He was making a trip across the Atlantic on an ocean liner and was asked to give a message to a group of the passengers, and he gladly did so. He was asked to talk about the title of the theme of answered prayer. Now, sitting in the audience was an atheist. And at the end of the service, when his friends asked him, well, what did you think of Dr. Meyer's message? He said, I didn't believe a word of it. Well, Dr. Meyer was asked to do another address later in the day. And several of the listeners who had gone that morning were coming back, including the atheist. Now, on his way across the ship, he picked up a couple of oranges and put them in his pockets with the intention of enjoying them later. I do that with Susan Lindsay. He took the oranges and carried in her poem. Dr. Meyer preached. The man made his way back, and as he was walking across the deck, he saw the lady enjoying one of the oranges. And he said, You surely are enjoying that oranges. To which she replied, Yes, indeed, my father is good to me. And he said, how can that be? As old as you are, surely your father's not alive. And he, she said, oh yes, yes indeed he is. And he said, how is that possible? And she said, well, sir, for the last few days I've been experiencing seasickness. And I prayed this morning that God would give me an orange. And my father gave me two. I'm pretty sure the atheist did not expect that answer. And Fat Meyer, sharing the experience, said that he was actually speechless. He was so caught off guard. By the way, Meyer shared that 
Sometime later, that atheist became a person of faith, had trusted in Christ. He was surprised. Friends, I'm I'm very certain that while that atheist had no idea what was going on, God actually used him to answer a prayer, to move. And in our text today, we're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture where we're going to get to listen in to a moment of surprise. We are going to encounter in our text today a very beautiful, amazing encounter with God that happened out in the desert heat. So would you rise as we look at our text this morning, Genesis 18, 1 through 15, and hear the word of the Lord and open up both ears and your heart. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to the tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing there nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried to the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seas of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought them, brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. As we work through this text, we're going to, we must understand something very important. God can meet us, yes, in expected ways, but sometimes in the most unexpected ways. Oswald Chambers, the great uh, devotional writer, put it this way, when we are rightly related to God, life is full of spontaneous 
joyful uncertainty and expectantly. We do not know what God is going to do next. He packs our life with surprises. So we're going to jump into our text and see different ways that God comes to us so that we might have an encounter. A couple of them very unexpected. One of them, uh, hopefully by now you have come to expect uh, from me and from what we know of God. So we begin. God can meet us in what appears to be the mundane moments of life. Just everyday life. Because folks, everyday life is full of, as Chambers said, expectancy. We're never quite certain what's going to happen. I am pretty certain everybody here has plans for what you're going to do today. And most of you here are old enough to know that, that old expression that says, we make our plans and God laughs, uh, what we plan may not happen. When we look at Abraham in this moment in time, he showed hospitality to three men who came to him in the heat of the day. Now there is, surprise, surprise, an argument among biblical scholars about what's going on. Some believe that Abraham had been expecting this meeting. He had been praying and seeking God's face, and so Abraham expected it. Some translations actually have the expression, if I have found favor in your eyes, O Lord. The implication being that Abraham knew one of those men was actually God. Others, including myself, believe that most likely was not what happened. That expression is translated by the NIV, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, is a good translation and a different translation. And it basically, kind of the way we use the word sir, there was something about this man that commanded attention. Now it may have been the way he dressed, it may have been the way he carried himself, but Abraham knew that's the guy that's important here. So, Abraham says, if I found favor, would you sit here with me a while? Would you be with me a while? Now, why did he offer such lavish hospitality? In fact, I love one, one writer's expression says, there is a tornado of activity with what Abraham does. He basically says, let me get you some water and a little bite to eat. And immediately runs to Sarah, get three measures of flour Make some bread. He runs to the herd. Get the good calf and fix it up. And he prepares a feast. Why would he do that? Well, Matthews points out, Abraham's haste in offering the courtesies of hospitality exhibited the same generous spirit he had shown in the past. What we're seeing in Abraham's act has been noted as a fine example of a very profuse, deferential, self-deprecatory courtesy that was characteristic of Eastern manners back then and to some extent even today. The idea that if you had somebody come into to, or come to your tent, you were obligated by society to offer something special. So he promised them a little milk and he brought out folks' curds, the best I can kind of think, cottage cheese, 
may not sound exciting to you, but it was a meaningful dish to them. Brought out curds and milk, bread, loaves of bread, and a calf. In typical Eastern fashion, he then stands and watches them eat. Now catch this. It's not that he doesn't want to join them. But Abraham wants to be ready. If there's anything else they need, he can quickly get moving and get it for them. Absolute amazing hospitality and love. Something quite unique was about to happen. Now, Matthew's also, not just the tornadic activity, Matthews also points out there is a sharp contrast in chapter 18 and chapter 19 through two different groups of people. One, Abraham. The man promised by God a land, a blessing, a child who shows hospitality and love. On the other hand, in Sodom, you find the men of Sodom going the direct opposite the angels that visit them, the men in their understanding that come, they're going to take, they're going to abuse, they're going to harm. Instead of showing the hospitality they should to the wayfaring stranger, they want to destroy them essentially. Sharp contrast between the man of God and people caught up in sin. Abraham may not have understood that this was the Lord and two angels. But as he stood... The attentive host, watching these men eat the food he had offered. He's about to know he is in the presence of God. Now what does that mean for us? Well folks, too often we tend to look for spectacular things to show that God is with us. We want the mountaintop experiences, don't we? We want such joy and presence and strength and power. We we love it. And I love the mountaintop. Folks, I share with you God's verse He's given me. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. That sounds fantastic to me. I like the soaring on eagles. We love it. We're very much like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. When he wakes up, sees Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, let's build tabernacles and stay here. There may have been in your life a a worship service or, or just a moment of private prayer where God's presence was so powerful and so real. You had that, I want to be here forever, God. But Jesus said, no, we can't. See, there are people down in the valley we need to minister to. So I can't fly on eagles' wings all the time. Sometimes I have to walk and not faint. And that's the reality. We want the spectacular. We want to build the tabernacles. And God says you can't live there all of the time. There will be a time of eternal soaring when we are face to face with our Lord. 
So while we're here and we're wanting to meet God and we're wanting it to be a powerful experience, let us be certain that we do not miss God's presence in everyday life. Sometimes God comes to us in ways we simply don't expect. Sometimes when God comes to us, He comes to us in the need of one of the least of these, my brothers, who has a a hurt that we can sue, who has a need that we can meet. We may not even think about it being God, but Christ says on the day of judgment, He will say, this is what you did for me when you did it for these. Sometimes, He arrives quietly and gently giving a peace. A peace that may not be overly joyful, but a peace that passes understanding. In the midst of the cares of this world, God speaks, be still. Know that I am God. Sometimes He arrives This happens a lot for me in the beauty of nature. When I see what God has created and and it causes something in my life to be touched. The psalmist understood in Psalm 8 verses 3 through 5. He said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moons and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you were mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Sometimes it's just a sunset where God speaks and we're reminded of his wonder and his glory. Not something spectacular. It's a sunset. People are driving. They're not paying attention. But God speaks to your heart. I'm here. The account of Abraham reminds us to pay attention. That's what's going on here. We need to pay attention. We don't always meet God in the spectacular moments, as fun as they are. But when we do meet Him, even in the mundane times of life, what can transpire is really spectacular. Because God comes in the everyday moments and says, I'm here. I'm here. God moves even in the little things. Now let's go to something expected. Okay? God can meet us through the power of His Word. God can meet us in the power of His Word. There's a change in our story, isn't there? Abraham said, let me, let me get you a meal. I know that you're an important person. Let me give it to you a meal. But it's during the meal the truth about one of the men was revealed. During the meal, God made himself known to Abraham. By the way, this is the last place in Scripture where that expression appeared Signals a theophany. God showing up on this earth 
in a way that will not kill the person. This is the last time that God appeared to Abraham. And God appeared and made himself known through the word of promise. Because did you notice the expression, the Lord, all in capital letters in our text? That's Yahweh, the covenant name of God. The Lord said, I will surely return to you this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a child, a son. I can only imagine what Abraham must have felt at that moment. From Monday to really mountaintop experience in one sentence. The promised son is almost here. Now, Abraham apparently has neglected to tell Sarah that she's going to be the mom. We'll get to that in a moment. But Abraham is now excited. He is so amazed. The son of promise is going to come. God continues. Not in a physical appearance to us, although if God chose to do that, He obviously can. But I want you to see something important because God continues bringing an incredible experience of encounter with us in what is essentially the same fashion. Here we are centuries later. And God still comes to us because God meets us daily every time we open His Word. Folks, I will make no apologies about the importance that I place on the Word of God before you. I'm not going to say anything particularly new today. It's the same message you've been hearing for quite some time. Because it's such an important part of who we are. George Herbert captured the beauty of the possibility. Just think about it. He said, Bibles laid open millions of surprises. You've heard me talk about the importance of God's Word in our lives. And I will never get tired of pointing out that truth. Because the reality is, when we look at everything that's going on in our world, and we look at all of the reasons that we see it falling to pieces, part of the problem in the West is that people who name the name of Christ have grown ignorant of the Word of God. They're getting a dose one day a week, maybe, if they go to church. And we've lost sight of the Word. It is God's love letter to us. And it is through His Word that we meet Him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. It is through His Word we learn from Him. When Jesus told His disciples, the Holy Spirit will come and remind you everything I've taught you. Well, guess what? Everything the Lord has taught us is found within the Word we may not have ever heard His voice, but His voice is still speaking to us and the Spirit is still bringing it to us. Now sometimes, the Word bursts in on us. 
suddenly springing upon us in joy and rush of understanding. Maybe you've been reading your Bible one day, a passage you have read over and over again, and all of a sudden you see it as almost with new eyes. There have been times I thought, somebody's been writing my Bible while I was asleep. And I know I never saw that. And God just says, Danny! And what I found out, every time that has happened in my life, that was the exact word I needed from God. And it comes alive powerfully. Sometimes it comes to us gently. We're going through a struggle. And we read, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longeth after you, O God. For I'm thirsty in a dry and arid land, and there's no water. And it's not a rush of endorphins, it's not excitement, but it's, I'm not alone in this. Others have understood. Others have had victory. Be still and know that I am God. And it calls me to calm my fears before Him. Folks, however it comes, as we open up the pages of God, as we open up our hearts, God can meet us. He meets us within His Word. It was His Word that let Abraham know who He was. And it is God's Word that we can know Him. But you know what? It doesn't come by osmosis. You can't put your Bible under your pillow at night and say, God, teach me. And expect it to somehow seep in. God meets us in His Word only as we open its pages. Only as we open its hearts. Our hearts to it. As we say, Lord, teach me. Help me here. So Natalie with much more of the nail hitting it on the head than she may have thought. You see, my friends, let us be certain that we never underestimate the power of God's Word to transform us. We are called to be students of the Word, diligently listening to our Father's voice. And when we open ourselves really open ourselves to God's revelation in His pages, we can be changed into what we ought to be. The great Protestant reformer, though, spells it out pretty plain. Martin Luther said, you may as well quit reading and hearing the Word of God and give it to the devil if you do not desire to live according to it. Lord, open my heart. Matthew 4.4 4, In answering Satan's temptation in the wilderness, Jesus said, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hebrews 4.12 talks about its power to change. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 And then in Isaiah 55.10-11 A promise that I have held on to for over 40 years of my life. 
doing what I'm doing right now. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Folks, if I didn't believe that, I would have quit this a long time ago. And I hold on to that promise that somewhere, somehow, the word proclaimed reaches and does what God wants. In Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8. Folks, we want to encounter God, if we want our lives to become what they are meant to be, it must be within the pages of His Word. And we're not going to get that once a week. It must be a daily part of our spiritual food. And then another really sharp curve at what God can do when we look at Sarah. God can meet us in the moments of our doubt. Almost everybody I know says, I want to have more faith, God. Give me more faith. But somehow the way to more faith comes not in an easy fashion. Sarah, I don't know if she actually learned the lesson, but she should have learned the danger of eavesdropping. Because Abraham didn't say, you're going to be mom. And she hears this man, and she doesn't realize it's God. Sarah's going to give birth. And her response, well, my mom was not nearly Sarah's age, but uh, I remember... I'm 17 years old. My fam- my mom and dad take me to Sirloin Stockade, our favorite steak place in town. And they're sitting across from me and they're joking and laughing and giggling. And I'm thinking, what is about to happen? I got very nervous that they knew something they were going to spring on me that would make me uh, not comfortable. And then my father used the expression, a woman in her condition. I'm not exactly sure that my jaw distended like a python's, but it dropped. I said, you're kidding. And they really, really began giggling then. Every person I told thought I was lying. Every person I told that I'm about to be a big brother. I told mom and dad you didn't understand it. When I wanted a little brother or sister, I wanted somebody I could beat up. If I touch him now, they'll put me in jail. Nobody wanted, nobody, I had to call, I had to call my mom and put my friend on the phone and have her tell him. 
And what does Sarah do? When she hears, Sarah laughed when she heard the promise of her bearing a child. She didn't handle it well. Now there is a difference between Sarah's laughter here and Abraham's laughter when God said, Abraham, you're going to be the father. Abraham laughed because he received words a news from God that seemed too good to be true, but he believed it. And he rejoiced and he was full of a nervous laughter, perhaps. Shocked laughter, but he trusted God. Sarah laughed because she refused to believe. Now we're about to get a little PG-13 here. Because there's part of this text You know how I said when my parents, I thought they were about to tell me something uncomfortable? I'm about to make you uncomfortable, okay? Forgive me. Sarah says, I'm worn out. My husband is old. And then she says, can I expect to have this pleasure now? Now I'll tell you the way we want to interpret that verse. Will I have the pleasure of being a mom? But that's not what this word normally means. The word normally is used in the context of husband and wife through intimacy. And she's saying, we're old. And I'll leave it at that. She is shocked. She doesn't believe any of it. None of this could happen. None of this is going to happen. Clyde Francisco wrote, Accustomed to keeping her thoughts to herself, Sarah had laughed only within and was astounded that the visitor knew her own heart. Her surprise at this disclosure brought her out of hiding. She now realized that she was in serious trouble and tried to deny her levity. She lied. Categorically, her plea of innocence... I didn't laugh, was denied. And Francisco says beautifully, God, as always, had the last word. I lied. I, no, no. No, she didn't say that. She said, I didn't laugh. She's trying. And God says, no. And that's, that's actually very emphatic. Yes, you did lie. In the original language, it's very emphatic. You most certainly lied. Sarah would have benefited if she could have had a mindset reflected by Corey Tim Boo, who centuries later said, trust God for the unexpected and let him surprise you by doing the unexplainable. Now what can I learn from Sarah? Because I can learn something here. This story is here for a reason. Sarah's laughter is given to us, I believe, for a reason. Now I understand this, folks. Our struggles to understand life and its challenges can be a call to trust in the midst of doubt. We are constantly, Lord, I want more faith. Daryl Brock Bach said, don't worry about having great faith. Just let the faith you have do its surprising work. I remind you of the encounter. I've already mentioned the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember when Jesus, Peter, James are seeing Moses, Elijah on the mount? 
Down below, there's a father trying to get his son set free from a demon. Jesus isn't there, so he turns to the disciples. Here, you, you do something. And they couldn't. Jesus comes down and they say, look, this, this boy has a demon and we've tried to cast him out, but we can't. And the scripture says that Jesus looked at them and said, how long are you going to keep not having faith? Then he turned to the father. Do you believe I can heal your son? And the father said one of the most astounding sentences in all of the scripture. That should give every person in this room great courage. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus didn't say, you blew it. You were supposed to have perfect faith. Jesus accepted the faith the man had and did something absolutely astounding. He moved. Instead of saying, I I need to store up faith, I need to get more faith, start exercising. That's what the story of Abraham is really about, isn't it? Step by step, he takes moves in coming to trust God. Till one day we will finally get to the story where his faith was shown through in an amazing fashion. But all along the way, it was step by step. Max Licato says, Clouds of doubt are created when the warm, moist air of our expectations meets the cold air of God's silence. The problem is not as much in God's silence as it is in your ability to hear. Sometimes we just can't hear. When those moments happen, let us be certain that we do not hide from the moments of doubt that challenge our faith. Let us be certain that we do not hide from those moments of doubt. Because all of us here have moments of doubt. And I know that there are people who try to assure me they don't. And my gut reaction, I've told you about my famous poker face. My gut reaction is, first of all, if you tell me you've never had a doubt, you're lying to me. Or two, you haven't been under the fire. Great people have been filled with struggles and doubt. So when it happens, when we find ourselves in that moment, that valley of darkness, and it seems like we're never going to get out, confess it. God, I don't know how to hold on. The pressures of this life, this world are piling up on me and, I, and I'm hurting. Don't lie about it. Don't, You know, if I walk up to you and say, how are you doing? You tell me, fine, and you're falling apart inside. You may be able to fool me. But you can't fool God. Don't lie about it. Don't seek to excuse it. Admit it. then God, help me. 
Help me hear you. Help me see the strength that you have to offer me. Give me wisdom because I don't know what to do. Grant me victory. Those things can become ours as we seek. Lord, I want this vital encounter with you. So we begin when James says, ask for wisdom, but don't doubt. Well, folks, by the time we come to wisdom, we've already been doubting. Now we're asking God, help me learn to trust you. You can't just turn off the doubt light. There's a light switch. You have to turn to God. I need your wisdom and I need your strength. And I believe if we try to do anything but be honest with God, we may move into a very much more troublesome situation. Because doubt that doesn't look to God for strength will eventually become unbelief. The 20th chapter of the book of John comes one of the most poignant moments among the apostles. On Easter Sunday, Thomas wasn't there. And when the disciples, the others say, we have seen the risen Lord, Thomas gave a sharp answer. John 20, 25, his answer has given him, unfortunately, a nickname Doubting Thomas. John 20, 25 says, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Warren Wiersbe says, We need to listen closely to what Thomas said and what he didn't say. Because they're key for us. Thomas' exact words were, unless I do that, I will not believe. Thomas is doubting, but he's now saying, I won't believe unless I can do something. Wearsby says that helps us understand the difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt says, I cannot believe there are too many many, uh, problems. And that's where our doubt is. There's just so much going on. I'm having trouble believing. Unbelief says, I will not believe unless you give me what I want. Unless you give me the evidence I'm looking for, I'm just not going to believe. In fact, in, in the original text, It's another one of those famous Greek double negatives that we can't use in English. You could translate, I positively will not believe. What does Jesus do? When Jesus shows up, he does rebuke Thomas, doesn't he? But what does he rebuke him about? Not the doubt. Not the doubt. John 20, 27, Jesus responds. He says, here, here I am, touch me. And, and 
Thomas, to his credit, didn't, did he? There's nothing in the text that says he did. He fell down on his knees and cried out, My Lord and my God. The strongest declaration of who Jesus was among any of the disciples up to that point. But when Jesus rebukes him in John 20, 27, we read, Do not disbelieve, but believe. Stop being faithless, Thomas. Trust me. The rebuke was on the unbelief, that statement, I'm not going to believe. We need to stand guard against falling into a willful state of saying, I will not believe. And we can stand against that by returning to the source of our strength and faith. The God who comes to us in everyday life. God who comes to us in the midst of our doubts. The God who comes to us through the living word that He has provided for us. A.W. Tozer once made a rather scathing accusation against the modern church. I am positively sure that after many years of observation and prayer that the basis of all our troubles today in religious circles is that our God is too small. When he says magnify the Lord, he doesn't say that you are to make God big, but you are to see him big. When we take a telescope and look at a star, we don't make the star bigger. We only see it big. Likewise, you cannot make God bigger. Well, if you've ever thought about that, magnify the Lord, we can't make God bigger. We can only see him bigger. So Tozer said, my brethren, God calls us to magnify him, to see him big. A meeting is not big because a lot of people are present. A meeting is big because a number of people see a big God in the meeting. And the bigger God is seen, the greater the meeting. A friend of mine has a little saying, I would rather have a big little meeting than a little big meeting. There are a lot of big meetings that are little because the God in them is a small God and there are a lot of little meetings that are big because God is big in the midst of them. My prayer is that we get to see more big meetings in our church. When we begin to understand that God is a big God who is capable of handling our issues. Years ago, Evie Turnquist, little lady, I don't know if you remember Evie, one of her big songs is, I'm only four foot eleven, but I'm going to heaven and I feel about ten feet tall. Years ago, she sang, organ stopped its playing, everyone's gone home. But I'm here Wishing that somehow we could meet Preacher stopped his preaching Somehow it goes on In my heart 
Somehow I feel so incomplete. You and me, all alone in your house. Don't know how to say it. I guess that I'll just play it by ear. Meet me here, pews and aisles so empty, still you seem so near, and I cry, hoping that somehow I'd know you. Choir stopped its singing. Somehow I'm still here, and the tears are blinding the eyes that need you. You and me, all alone in your house, don't know how to say it, I guess that I'll just play it. By ear, meet me here. Do you want that encounter with God? Do you want to meet our Lord? Then begin by paying attention in your everyday life looking for those moments of encounter when God wants to come and make himself known. Do you want that encounter with God? Then understand every day of your life needs to be immersed in the very word of God. Seeking his face, seeking his truth, asking him to shine the light into your life and change you. Do you want that encounter with God? Then be honest. When you're struggling with doubt and pain, God, I can't make it on my own. I need you to come and rescue me. I need you. And folks, before you say, God, I want to encounter you, we need to understand the ramifications. Because if we encounter God, we'll be changed. Meeting God Almighty has an effect that is transformative. I'm not going to say overnight you're going to be this giant of faith that you'll be walking on a journey. 